I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't that feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man. And get that cream, black man, we the original man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Confessions of a Native Son. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and aspiring author who enjoys thought-provoking, engaging dialogue about race, culture, and business. I don't know about you all out there, but as a young black kid growing up in Texas, I wasn't exposed to the vast scope of opportunities available to us as black people in America. I was exposed to black athletes, entertainers, teachers, and professionals. I was actually raised by a family of teachers. My mom worked in special education, while other members of my family worked in various teaching and administrative roles. Why do I bring this up? As I get older and continue to soak up the world around me, I'm blown away by all the opportunities that exist for us as black people that I never knew existed. Careers and opportunities such as starting and owning a craft brewery. Although I've been a fan of craft beer for some time, it never dawned on me that there were black brewery owners. Since starting this podcast and finishing my master's degree in American studies, I've started questioning everything around me. I'm not afraid to read and ask questions that others aren't. Prior to the pandemic, my girlfriend took me to a really dope bar in Harlem called Harlem Hops, a Black-owned craft beer bar owned by three HBCU grads. When I say this place is dope, trust me, from the moment I walked through the door, I knew that this was a spot for me. Black people were everywhere, mellow hip-hop was playing in the background, and the bartenders were all rocking shirts that say, Black people love beer. For the record, this is my favorite bar in New York City. I had an opportunity to take a pic with one of the owners, Kevin Bradford, as he rocked his Black People Love Beer shirt. I started to pick his brain about the bar, where he got his shirt from, and he led me to Crown & Hops Brewing Company, co-founded by Benny Ashburn and T.O. Hunter, one of the guests on today's show. Coming across Crown & Hops led me down a rabbit hole to the Black craft brew movement. I was so used to drinking Irish and German beer, I never questioned Black people's long history of brewing beer, both in Africa and here in America. Since that visit to Harlem Hops, I've read books, trolled the internet, visited two Black-owned breweries in New Jersey, and discovered the beer hustle taking place here in America. Black brewers are contract brewing all across the country, launching their breweries, and creating dope brews for the people. That's why I decided to invite T.O. Hunter from Crown & Hops Brewing Company on today's show. T.O. is unapologetically Black. His team is dedicated to preserving culture, expansion of the palate, and community building through world-class beer. They believe it's important to create spaces for communities of color, creatives, innovators, influencers, and craft beer connoisseurs. In the following episode, T.O. and I discuss the craft beer landscape for Black Americans, his struggles and challenges of running a Black-owned craft brewing company, and the $8 trillion gain in GDP American can achieve by closing the racial wealth gap. As always, I appreciate you for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoy today's show. And we are live. What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the legendary Confessions of a Native Son, where we speak truth to power. I'm your host, the one and only Iron Mike Stedman, the people's champ. Today, I have the distinct privilege of sitting down with none other than Mr. T.O. Hunter, co-founder of Crown & Hops Brewing Company. What's going on, T.O.? Welcome to the platform. 
What's going on, people, man? That people's champ, man. That's that's a big title, brother. I need to I need to focus on mine, man. The the, the people's brewer or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, you know what it is. I'm flexing a little bit. I just added that in there for this episode, but I'm going by <laughs> people's champ. You know, I have another podcast for Bunker Labs, and I'm the voice of the bunker. But you know, I like just having fun. You know what I'm saying? Hey, well, well for the people that that are beer or craft beer enthusiasts, that they'll, they'll know this sound. Oh yeah, he's cracking it up, man. There you go. And, and for this conversation, I'm uh, I'm cracking open our elevated cipher IPA because that's exactly what we're doing. You know, um, we always remind people with not only our packaging but our naming conventions on on our philosophy, and and this is definitely elevating the cipher. So thank you for having me, brother. Man, it's, the pleasure is mine, man. I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, why don't you take a moment and go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners out there? Of course. Um, again, my name is T.O. Hunter. I am the COO, co-founder, and head of brewing operations for Crowns and Hops Brewing Company, Inglewood, California, or as some people would say, Inglewood. All right, all right. Say. Um, yeah, um, born and raised California kid, um, and um, you know, I, I took a short stint to uh, to D.C. Attended Howard University, uh, but still needed to work through. I think some uh, some adulting or some 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 things that I needed to get through as a man. Uh, so decided to segue into the military, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into. 18th Corps Fort Fort Bragg, or, um, excuse me, uh, Fort Bragg, 18th Corps Artillery, um, Airborne, and um, you know, spent a, a good good 14 years in the military. Uh, did did five active, got out, uh, got activated because of 9/11, uh, as I'm sure a lot of brothers got that stop loss letter as well, um, and 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 went back in and reenlisted, um, but. But I uh, decided to, 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 to stay out at, at year 14 and, and focus on raising my daughters. Um, so, uh, yeah, th- I think oh, throughout that journey, um, I think beer has always been um, something that, that I appreciated. Um, but I don't think that I ever understood it until, until about a decade ago. Um, I think maybe the first time that I ever had a, a true amazing keg of beer was, was right after a, a road march, I think, a pretty lengthy road march. Um, to where one of the officers got some some Killigan's Red, uh, Irish, Irish Red, um, which is a phenomenal beer. I'd never tasted anything like it. Um, and I, I think I had, had, had secretly been kind of searching for for that 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 palate expansion again. And just um, uh, it took me about a decade to finally come down to the terms of of, of I really appreciated the not only the taste of it, but the alchemy of it. And um, and and partnered with uh, my business partner, CEO, uh, as she would say, the dope CEO, Benny Ashburn, and uh, created Crowns and Ops Brewing Company. Lots, hey, lots of little points in between that, though. No, nah, I, I love it. No, it's crazy, right? Because when you're in the military, you know, we have these like long bios and all this kind of stuff, you know, but then you get out and then there's just all other life, you know, and there's a lot that happens in between there. So he just ran through about. What, about 30 years of history in about 60 seconds. But, man, I wish y'all could see him. He's fresh to death. Got the Crown and Hops logo on. Got the nice beard. We're bearded up a little bit. His a little bit shorter than mine. But what what I, um you know, a lot of people don't realize is when I reach out to guests for this podcast, I didn't, a lot of them, I don't have any idea that they're veterans. I just see people doing dope stuff that I think my audience can benefit hearing their perspective from. And then recently, man, I get on and guys are like, oh, you're a veteran? You was in the Marines? Oh, I was a veteran. I had no idea. You, you know what's interesting? I, I don't think it's in veterans. 
much of the time to advertise that they're veterans. I think a lot of times you will only find out someone is a veteran if someone either introduces themselves as a veteran, um, if it's in their title, um, if they say something um, that might be a trigger. You know, for me, you know, like like when I hear someone say, you know, uh, you know, good to go immediately. And that, right. that, that, that's a sign for me that you probably served. You know, um, I think language is a huge part of it. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, and, and I don't know, share with me your, your thoughts on it. I, I just don't see people waving that veteran flag as, 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 as widely. And I think that comes from a place of, of wanting to be humble about it, of, of not necessarily wanting to draw attention. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think it's a, it's a, it's a nobility that comes with it that, that we find out only through, you know, conversation or, or through some, some, you know, some monikers or some language, uh, that we're, there we're, we're brethren. Yeah, I know. Um, it's always just a sense of pride, right? And, you know, we talk about some radical stuff on here. You know, we haven't got too deep. We're getting into Malcolm X and the Huey Newtons of the world. Mm. You know, all the black veterans, you know, they still have this deep pride for what they did at some point. You know, just this, this sense of belonging to that tribe. And I'll tell you, when I left the military, I hadn't, I didn't want anything to do with the military. I won't say that. When I left the military, I didn't want that to define me. So mm. I distanced myself because, you know, I, I definitely knew there was like the veterans that walk around with the campaign cover hats mm. on. You know, and I was like, that ain't me. I'm just going to redefine myself in the civilian world. But then yeah. I got pulled into this veteran entrepreneurship thing with the uh, first thing was called Stanford Ignite. You know, I went out to Stanford for four weeks and learned entrepreneurship out there. And then I got connected with Bunker Labs and the love has just been so amazing as like an entrepreneur. And I was like, man, I really dig this. And so um, it's interesting to me when I see dope entrepreneurs like you that are out there doing it. I'm like, how do you not know about us out here, man? You know, there's yeah. this whole veteran entrepreneur community. And I, part of me, after we started chopping it up, I was like, man, I got to pull you into the ecosystem. Yes, you know, sir. Yes. I mean, well, it's camaraderie at the end of the day. You, you know, I, th I think that's something that the military, um, you know, understand all branches understand, which is why they strip you down and build you up and strip you down and build you up again or allow you to build one another up. You know, that there's this sense of, you know. You know, you don't leave anyone behind, you know, you don't let anybody down, you know, you, you know, you build a sense of loyalty, you know, th those are not concepts that, that, that are steeped in, in military thought, they're, they're concepts that are, are, are steeped in human thought, you know, we, we are, I think, naturally, um, you know, human beings naturally want to establish community. And when you stuck with a brother, <laughs> when, yeah. when, when, when you when you in the trenches with a brother, you know, when you in the when you're in a howitzer with a brother, you know, you, you build a sense of camaraderie. And I think despite um, what we take away with, you know, what we might have been disgruntled or upset or didn't find alignment with in terms of military philosophy, that 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 fraternity, that sorority, um, that, that camaraderie is what binds us. Yeah, man. And I'll tell you this, too, you know, just hearing you talk too when you're talking about beer drinking. Right. Like when I was growing up, black people didn't really drink beer like that. You know, maybe you saw people drinking like the Heinekens or something, but it was always the old timers. All mm -hmm. of us young ones used to, you know, with like a little juice in it, something sweet, tasty, whatever. Mm -hmm. Then I go to the Naval Academy. Uh, I went to the prep school first. I remember I went to a first like off base house party and yeah. they had a bathtub just full of like ice and beer. And that was yeah. like my introduction to beer. Basically, my peers from the Naval Academy. But then getting connected in this craft brewing kind of thing led me down this rabbit hole where I got me to reach out to T.O. because there's a brewery in uh, there's a uh, it's called Harlem Hops in Harlem. It's super yeah, dope. 
right? It's Great not tap a brewery. room. It's a tap room. It's not a brewery. Yeah. Super dope. The vibe is fresh. I mean, you just love it. And I go in one day and I see somebody with a shirt on. It says black people love beer. And I was yeah. like, yo, it was the owner. And then yeah. I started talking to him. I was like, where'd you get that shirt from? And then he was telling me about you, Crown at Hops, put me on beer culture. And there's this whole movement that's going on that I had no idea. But like now I find myself, me and my girlfriend, uh, we go out of our way to go to black owned breweries here in the Newark, uh, in the New York City metro area. So you got like Montclair yeah. Brewery, Crown and Hops. We're searching for other, but they really ain't that much. <laughs> Yeah. It's about ten nationwide. And, and, and like, I, well, to be to be more specific, there's about sixty five, um, but that's sixty five out of eight thousand breweries in the right. country. You know, um, so per capita, you know, even if you just think about it, even in the military, you see more color in the military than you do see breweries owned by people of color. You know, in in our country, you know, which speaks volumes. You know, and I can tell you from a consumption standpoint. You know, we're, we're drinking it just as much as the white folks are, you know, um, maybe maybe not from a craft beer standpoint. But, you know, to be honest, you know, I think the the craft beer concept has has been something that 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 people have reserved and protected as like as like that bubble, you know, similar right. to like golf. You know, you know, it's like, you know, you know, we'll let you have your sports, but golf is ours, you know, and. And I think it, it is it's when me and my partner, Benny, really started jumping into this, we, we realized how fragile um, people are in that com- in the community. Um, we realized that white fragility just wasn't a national concept, but there are small ecosystems of white fragility as well. And I think as soon as people understand that it's fear and it's fragility and it's and it's and it's and it's. And it's ultimately preserving a lie um, that we are not better for diversity. I think sooner people understand that racial equity is a strategy for economic growth. um, And that's for all of us. Then, then you can easily pick apart and dispel that, that fragility. Untapped markets, man. Untapped underserved communities. I'm a bro. I'm an Omega. You can't go to a bro cookout. Can't see bros got Heineken, Corona, whatever. But again, we don't own the vertical integration. Right. Yep. We don't own the distribution. We don't own the product marketing. We don't own none of that stuff. That's and uh, that's why I'm excited to do a deep dive because this is where we do deep dives. Let's do know? it, man. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in doing nothing surface, brother. I mean, I, I take people in, in the deep end, whether or not they want it or not. You know, you could do that vanilla podcast and shit with, 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 with someone else, but it ain't going to happen with me, bro. All right, man. I'm excited. <laughs> but before we go deep, the first thing we got to do is we got to give our confessions. And I'm going to go Ooh. first. All right. Now, people have, my listeners have heard me say. You, you, you ain't going to play like Usher Raymond or nothing? You ain't going to, we just going to jump right into it? We're going to jump right into it. So mine's a little bit positive, right? So my listeners have heard me come on this podcast and say, I'm an aspiring author. I want to write a book for this podcast called Confessions of a Native Son. All mm-hmm. right. But I've been telling my girlfriend, man, I want to open a craft brewery, you know? And hey. I just see, I'm a veteran. I don't know what it is. It's something about my personality, right? Like I read yeah. a lot. I listen to a lot of audio books and podcasts, which made me start my own podcast company. I'm just growing and there's different areas I want to explore. And, yeah. you know, for me as a veteran, I go to all these different breweries, a lot of veteran owned breweries. And I'm like, man, I want to see some Harlem Hellfighter, Harlem yeah. Hellfighters on tap. I want to see the Massachusetts 54 on tap. I want to see, you know, the Brown Bomber on tap. And I yeah. just see this opportunity in the marketplace for a really dope black owned veteran brewery. You know, at yeah. least from a yeah. brand perspective. 
Um, So that's something that I'm interested in. So that's what led me and my girlfriend to go start visiting all these breweries. You know how people go when you kind of start out and just talking to owners. But at some point, I'll probably do a, uh, I am going to do a brew for my nonprofit, Ironbound. It'll probably, it is going to be to raise support and awareness for our nonprofit efforts here in Newark. You're in Inglewood. I know y'all got issues. I'm in Newark. Our people don't have a lot. But I want to roll out a, a brew to support the mission. But my confession is, again, I've heard me say a lot of stuff, but I do get it done. But I do want to open up a, a craft on brew, even if it's just a tap room. Hell, even if I just and I'm we're going to talk about contract brewing, but I yeah. just have this vision for the brand more than anything else. Yeah. Once you get bit by the bug, I mean, like anything, you know, you, 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 you know, it's like getting a TV for the first time. You know, you get it in your house. And what's the one thing that you say well, once you get it up on the wall? I should have went bigger. Should have went bigger. <laughs> everybody, everybody has that feeling. So I think, you know, I mean, that, that's just how it works. You know, you get bit by an interest, um, but but not to deviate too far away from the question, confessions. Um, man, that's a good one, bro. Um, I would have to say, um, and, and I'm sure that your listeners and you would probably really be able to identify with this, but um, I, I struggled with doing things for myself um, out of the fear of me looking selfish you know, or, or the fear of looking like I wasn't doing it, like, like the fundamentals and the pillars in, in the military teach you, which is that you do things, so, you know, selfless service, you know, and, you know, being a father, you know, three, three daughters, you know, at the time married, um, you know, and, and really dedicating myself to them. Um, I think I neglected a lot of things for me personally, a lot of the, the building and a lot and, and not to, to make them in any way an excuse. But I think what I did is I, I disabled that element of what it means to build and to focus on myself so that I could ultimately be able to take advantage of opportunities like I'm doing now. Um, I believe there's a balance. But yeah, man, it, I, I had to work through that for a while, man. Um, the, the concept of of being an entrepreneur and, and really, um, really diving in deep to something that I loved, you know, that, that, that was something that, that I struggled with for, for a very long time. Well, I appreciate you sharing that to a bunch of listeners you may not ever meet. Um, hmm. but that's, it's important for us to come on here, especially as black men and just be vulnerable and talk about, you know, some of our lessons learned because this IP is important for the culture. Yeah, you know, man. A lot of people are listening to this stuff. Um, and, you, you know, it's funny, man, I was thinking about it when I was getting ready to interview today, just what you were talking about, about like I'm older, I'm 33 right now. I don't have any kids or anything. You're a little bit older. But this idea, there's all this stuff we would have never dreamed about as young black kids that we could do starting breweries, starting a podcast production company. And so now, you know, we're a little bit older and we're getting the second win. And it's like this world of possibilities opens up to us. Yeah. You know, you, you know I mean, well, you know, there's you know, there's a saying of, you know, you got to see it in order to be it, you know, and, and I think that really rings true for the community, the, the black community. You know, I think there has been this, this, this concept of keeping us so monolithic and keeping us so one thing um, that a, as a community, we almost feel like we are betraying our community if we step outside of that concept, if we step outside of religion, if we step outside of, of of sexuality, if we step step outside of anything that isn't framed as traditionally being black, then we're not black. And and I think that's one of the things that we saw or that we we really identified quickly in craft beer, and it's still um, an issue 
you know, of, of, of someone being able to embrace something and it not falling within the wheelhouse that you think it should, you know, or, or it traditionally would. So, you know, a large part of our brand is exposing people to the fact that, hey, look, even though we are one of the few black owned crab breweries, we still aren't just like that other crab brewery across the street that's black. We still aren't. I mean, there's a brother in, in Indiana, in Gary, Indiana, who, who's a brother and has literally a heavy metal themed brewery. And he goes hard in the fucking paint on his heavy metal. I'm talking about satanic shit. Like, I mean, you name it. But but 18th Street Brewery is producing some of the uh, best liquid on the planet, you know. Um, and the irony is I didn't meet this dude for the first time until Benny and I went to Europe. You know, we went to the UK and I, and I finally meet another brother for the first time in the brewing industry in a different country. And we were able to, one, break bread. And, and shake hands and meet, but also talk about how beautiful it was that we could be two brothers, you know, w- one of the fewest demographics in the industry and be absolutely different. Yeah. And, and, and we, and we just thought that was incredible. And, and, and the more people that see that, the more people are going to do what you have identified is, which is I can create my village. I can create my home because the reality is just like in the military, Every unit has their, their badge. Every unit has their credo. You know, it has their ethos. And, it, 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 you know, if you're in the Army, you're in the Army. But, you know, your unit, you know, y- your unit is your unit. And, and, and you know, I think we can all say that um, there's always room for another unit. There's always room for another village. So, 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 so I'm looking forward to, uh, I think it's FedEx delivery. Hopefully it's some beer. <laughs> all good. Well, before we jump into today's topic, I got to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors. First of all, shout out to Dope Coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. Do us a favor and show Mike and the team in Atlanta some love by heading over to www.realdope.coffee and place your order today. Next, I got to give a shout out to Sincerely Body, a woman-led company that's Harlem-based and specializes in handcrafted body care that relieves, restores, and relaxes. Their products help you feel better naturally. If you're suffering from aches and pains and don't want over-the-counter drugs or prescription medication, be sure to check them out. They have balms, bath salts, and oils to relax the body and soothe the soul. Head over to SincerelyBody.com and it's Bade with B-A-D-E. It's body spelled B A D E. Now you almost got through that unscathed. That was gonna be well. I was I about to give you a standing ovation, boy. Now here's what I tell y'all, right? A lot of podcasters drop brands and stuff on their on their platforms, you know, for sponsorships, whatever. Listen, these are two brands that I care about deeply. One is led by my brother from another, Mr. Mike Lloyd. Dope coffee is dope. Y'all already know. And Sincerely Body is my girlfriend's company. All right, this is a platform, and I love. I don't just talk economic empowerment. Right. I create platforms to deliver on it. So be sure to check them uh, both out. All right. Without further ado, let's get into the theme of today's episode. Brewing while black. All right, T.O. What up? up to date on black representation in the brewing industry, because for a lot of people, you know, people not even know that there's this whole craft brew going on with black people. Yeah, man. I, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'd, I'd have to start at the beginning, you know, and it was really I think about um, identifying that there was an issue. Um, and, 
you know, Benny and I both come from backgrounds to where we, in, in our previous careers, we're traditionally the only black person in a room. I was in the commercial printing and creative industry, not a lot of people of color. She was in traditional marketing and advertising, not a lot of people of color. Um, and you had to learn very quickly that you could not project that, that you had to be okay with who you were so that you could ultimately carve out a lane for yourself. And, um, you know, one of the things that we identified in, um, and, you know, it initially was just, there wasn't a lot of representation on the consumption side, on the consumer side. Um, and I was going to physical spaces and, and being the only one in the physical space, you know, you could be in Inglewood, you could be, you know, um, in Harlem, you could be in any of these major cities that are predominantly full of black and brown people, but walk into an establishment with craft beer and see a void and absence of it. And that just really struck us as being really strange. And um, it took us, it took me going to this one craft beer festival and out of thousands of people being one of two black people in the entire festival. And that was on the vendor side and with the attendees. And I just couldn't get over it. And, um, you know, I think that's when we, we, everybody was really kind of stumbling on the Instagram and, and, and really seeing that that was a, very easy way to to find your people, to find your community, to find your theme. Because if you weren't going to find them, the algorithm absolutely was going to find them. And we decided just to come up with a with a statement for a handle. You know, it was like, look, if people were going to find us, I didn't want to be cute about it. You know, I didn't want to be the black IPA brother. You know, I didn't want to just be cute in in a way that would that would have people not recognize who I was and what I believed. And we came up with a handle that was Black People Love Beer, just period. Not Black People Love Beer too. not Black People Love Beer Sometimes, not I Think Black. It was Black People Love Beer. Because to me, what that said was, I am already that. I am already here. You know, you don't have to look any further because I'm here. And what that ultimately did is it created this, this flag to pretty much everybody in the craft beer community, um, everybody that was Black. Everybody that wanted to talk about it but couldn't, um, everybody that was talking about it that that reduced people that were bringing it up, um, and and to be frank, I was armored. I was ready to go. I, I you know I, I was I was you know and you know this being in the military, you know when you out in the field, you have some of the most truthful fucking conversations with people who could come from completely different backgrounds than you. You know you you could, you could be in a in a in a freaking barracks you know in a three-bedroom in a four-bedroom fucking room with a dude from kentucky a dude from utah and a nigga from the south who you could be who needs subtitles to hear him you know to understand what he's saying but yet you find camaraderie you, you find connection and you get through difficult conversations so that was the big that was the beginning brother um was just identifying the problem identifying we had an a, 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 the ability to to find one another through social media and, and it just kind of evolved from there. Let's break it down for people, right? So you, you got to break it down again. All right. How many breweries are there in this country? There are 8,000 plus breweries in this country. I don't have the exact number because COVID obviously is, is taking right. a few out. But but that you know also shows you the strength of this industry that cats can still be opening because it was about 7,520 prior to 2020 and where we've eclipsed 8,000. And how many of them are, are black owned? Less than one percent, and two, and two, and two went out of business during COVID. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a ridiculous, 
you know, discrepancy with regards to representation. It, it's it's not even, I mean, if you think about just to get to 2% or just to get to a full percent would mean that there's 80 breweries in the country that are black owned and there are not. And, and, and even to take it a step further of the 65 or so black owned breweries, less than half actually have their own production facilities. So there's still a barrier even to, to overcome there. Right. And then a lot of white breweries might even count it as having a brewery because people contract or whatever. They're like, you're not one of us, you know, bro. We we, we get that now. Yeah. But the thing that's interesting to me is right. So I'm going into all these different breweries. Right. And then it just hit me. I don't know if it was at Harlem hops and I'm talking about within the last year. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know how, like a lot of times with brew, it's always about a story. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this led to this. And then I didn't even know that there was this whole black people in Africa have been brewing beer forever. Bro, the, and and you you just brought up probably one of the one of the I think the breweries that is able to really lean into that story the most in Montclair Brewing Company. Yeah, um, you know, amazing group. You know, freaking Leo, um, and oh my god, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna get called out and his wife's name. Yeah, I forgot her name, but me and my girlfriend we call it, all the time. It, 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 it'll come to me, and I apologize to Montclair for 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 not immediately just just no Denise Denise boom. Um, you know, Leo is from Africa and he will tell you in a heartbeat that brewing started in Africa or brewing is an African tradition. And not only that, but women brew. Right. Women are the brewers. Like he was he was scared as hell to to excuse me, to bring it up to his mom that he was opening up a brewery because he was scared of what she was going to say. I'll let brother tell that story. It is fantastic. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, the the instruction for 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 fermenting anything um, was found in hieroglyphics. So if that's not telling you our connection with the alchemy of, of, of beer and brewing and fermenting anything like I don't know what else to tell you. And, and to take it even a step further. Um, last year, I took my, my daughters down south uh, to meet their great grandfather for the first time. Um, had an opportunity to to kind of do a you know a tour. He's in Jasper, Texas, but we're close enough to uh, Shreveport, where where my aunt lives. Their great aunt. Um, I'm sorry, it would be their great great aunt. And you know, we just went out, went down to Shreveport. You know, got, got us some some crawdads and, and and sat down with with great auntie. And they're questioning her about our family lineage, about what did what did grandpa do? Oh well, you know, he was a preacher. Well, what did grandma do? Oh well. She stayed at home with the kids. Well, what did his dad do? Oh, well, he was a preacher too. Well, well, what did his wife do? Oh, she was a brewer. And what is it? And I was like, whoa, I said, excuse me? I was, I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> she was like, yeah. She was like, yeah, your, your, your great, great, great grandma, Phoebe Johnson Crump, brewed beer. And I'm like, wait, what, like, what are the chances that, that I would take this path? And then to come come out and find out that it's in my blood, it's in my family um, to do this was was a real eye opener to um, industries that we aren't currently in now that we've always been traditionally in this country. And I, and I think what you know, it's something that, again, that we want to 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 really showcase, you know, our our our. Um, our, our ethos is to preserve culture, to build community and expand palates. And we believe that expanding the palate isn't just a physical thing. It's a psychological thing. Um, you know, what, you know, what is it? Uh, you know, the mind stretching a new idea can never return to its original form. 
you know, uh, with Waldo Ralph Emerson, I believe. And I always mess his name up as well. Um, but but that's that's invaluable to have your paradigm stretched and changed, man. You know, once you stretch a rubber band out, it doesn't go back, you know. And um, and we believe that's that's as true about the palate as, as it is about the mind. You know, it's funny on this podcast. I had a guy, uh, uh, Yusef Henriquez. Mm. He talked about uh, the human genome. Right. And mm-hmm. how memory and trauma and all this stuff is passed down in the human genome. And so one of the things I've been saying is our elders have been telling us this stuff all along. You know, how we get pulled to this stuff and we can't explain it ourselves. Right. But they would talk about spirituality and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're calling it hokey pokey. But again, mm-hmm. you know, you walk into a brewery and then you're like, man, there's just not a lot of black people in these spaces. And then all of a sudden you find out we have a long history in it. And that's why maybe deep down, you've always, we have these natural attraction to these things that just seem so distant then, you know, if you're in Inglewood, you drink a craft brew, people are like, bro, what are you talking about? But then you find out we have a long lineage as a people of brewing beer in Africa. And that is just- I mean, well, well, think about it. I mean, we're, you know, think about the concept of an allergy or, or bad eyesight. Or, or, or any other physical condition that you could have that would make you less or more prone to something like, like it's no different than that. You know, I think there are different ways for saying, you know, the spirit or different ways of saying how that ancestral component is, is tied to you now and how it was before. Um, that, that's, you know, DNA is a powerful thing, bro. You know, and, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure, but like I can, I can smell grain being brewed from a beer miles away, bro. Like, like I, there are things that I'm just so I'm sensitive to stainless steel, you know. And, and if something is being conditioned, conditioned in stainless steel, that that's that's how I was wired. That's not something I learned. That's just how my body reacts. So, you know, the reality is, you know, I I, I love the concept. It's romantic to me to think about the idea of this being in my blood, you know, not necessarily getting faded and getting drunk and fucked up, but, but ultimately the, the idea of converting something that wasn't before into something that is today, you know, that, 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 you know, from an entrepreneur that even speaks volumes, you know, um, to be able to do that with, 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 uh, with grain, water, yeast and hops is, is, is magical to me, bro. Yeah. And you see the little videos of the women on YouTube, in Africa, in the villages, without the machines and all this stuff, just walking out there, making their beer. And I'm just like, oh, my God, nobody ever. I would have never fathomed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm 33. I've got a master's in you know, history and everything else. And it's just like my world is just getting opened up to so much stuff. Mm. Have you been to the um, the um, the um, museum in D.C.? The um- I have not. Smithsonian, I have, bro. It is. It, it will definitely take two days <laughs> to do it. Um, but you know, the the whole bottom floor or the bottom floors, um, as I'm sure people may have explained, are, are pretty much you know, you know, uh, civil rights. You know, from slavery to civil rights, and everything above ground is ultimately you know post civil rights and the future and art and 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 progressiveness and. Um, you know, it, 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 it was it was a heavy experience um, to go through that, but they do a phenomenal job of quantifying um, our contribution to this country, to this planet in a way that I've never seen it done before. I've never seen a dollar value assigned to the ability of producing cotton. 
I've never seen what that would equal in the dollar figure today and how valuable that was to the 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 legacy and the foundation of this country and and, the, and these are these are these are components and these are facts and 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 values that cannot be argued they are facts because we are here today um to to, to be able to visit that and understand that you that we um as black men um have having a an association and a connection even to the foundation of this country, regardless of how ugly it is, is is it gives you even more audacity to be an entrepreneur, in my opinion. You know, but but again, you know, it, it's it's about audacity. It's about leaning into your blackness and your culture and your authenticity. And that's something that you know at Crowns and Hops Brewing Company um, that we try and integrate, integrate and weave into everything that we do from. You know, again, the name of our beer, Elevated Cipher, you know, to the design. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't have a direct tie to my African, the African village I'm a part of. Um, so it was funny when, when we were talking to our designer for the first time in terms of I'm like, man, you know, how do I how do I put that concept on a can? How do I put it as art? How do I do that? You know, do, do I just put kente cloth on there? Do I do? And I'm like, man, but that's not me. Right. You know, I'm American, bro. You know, and I'm like, do I put a flag? And I'm like, well. I don't, I don't want that to be the case. There's enough people doing that. And it really came down to just really focusing on that, that ingenuity, um, that dopeness. You know, I think you know, the concept of being dope individuals is taken too lightly at times and reinvention. And, and we, what we came out to in the wash is that, you know, the, the patterns and the, and the, and the artwork that we create are almost our own kente, you know, and, and, it, it speaks volumes to people from that black American experience when they recognize, when they see it, you know? That's your brand DNA, right? So even if it's not the African, the rootness is still there. It's always there in the culture and the way you present it. And you just talking about the museum, us as black people, first of all, we got so much culture and brandness already that we just got to tell the stories around, right? And you know, people want to hire brand guys like me to come in and help them out with their companies. But that's what I love about, man, like even with this podcast, right? Confession of a Native Son. Just, man, there's, we got so much culture already that just speaks for itself. I'm a boxing guy. I'm Muhammad Ali. Muhammad, what has Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, what he's done for boxing, you know, it, it, it still lives. And so when you think about what he's done for athletes, what he's done for athletes and black people and just kind of like what you guys are doing with brewing now, man, there's a whole history there. And you're pulling it together in your DNA and it comes out and you can see because I see y'all everywhere, which brings me to my question is like, let's bring people up to date on what does the landscape look like? Right. I know that you we got beer culture. I got his book. What's the book? Uh, This ain't the beer that you're used to, which is yeah, like a, yeah, no, I know I got it somewhere around here. Yeah, it's a dope guy. You got. um, But I want, there it is. This ain't the beer that you're used to, which is yeah, a, yeah Dom is the homie. But um, I've heard a couple of his podcasts, but for these 65 black brewers, what does it look like for them out there hooking and jabbing right now, especially mm. in COVID? It, well, well, you know, it, it's a, you got to consider the shoulders that we stand on, you know, and, and the individuals that are, are in the game, the individuals who are, uh, who, who have gotten into it very recently, who now have the collective audience of people that are focused on diversity inclusion and then you got cats like Benny and myself who are who have turned a page and focus on racial equity. 
Um, you know, you, you have some people who were not able to lean into their blackness or their culture or their community and ultimately had to regurgitate or be what the status quo was in order to have a place, you know, and, and we understand that we don't demonize that at all. You know, um, you got cats like Garrett Oliver, a Brooklyn um, brew clump, uh, excuse me, um, you know, Brooklyn brewery um, who was way ahead of his time. You know, that cat has written some of the most phenomenal and landmark text as it relates to brewing in general. Um, was he able to come in, c- come in with a black people love beer shirt and, and have that same impact? Probably not. Um, would it have been received? Probably not. Um, but hopefully that gives you some context on the landscape today because, you know, you're talking about, you know, I want to say about a good 20 to 30 years of, of you know, of, of pawn water motion of getting from where, where we are now to where Garrett probably was when he came in. Um, and, uh, you, you know, it's, it, it's becoming easier, I would say. Um, for anyone who wants to enter this market to identify the fact that they too have the opportunity as any of these breweries that love surfing, that love hiking, that love camping, that love dogs, that love anything. When you, when you see the diversity in the existing craft beer community, and then you take the most influential community on the planet, which is the American black person, the American black man and woman and see that they are not represented in an industry specifically in America that is one of the more successful, that, that, that is, that is an opportunity, you know, and it's not just an opportunity for black folks. It's an opportunity for an entire industry. You know, I mean, imagine if the radio only played country and classical, like there, there, there would be no awards, <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there would be, there would be, there, there would be probably not the industry around music as there was now when a Motown came. When a Motown came, people had to rethink what music was, and and our philosophy is that the landscape today is 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 fertile for people understanding that one, you don't have to be status quo. Um, that two diversity is a good thing because that's how things evolve. That's how things get better. That's how the bar gets raised. And, and, and that, that is what we do. You know, if you, if you look at anything from sports or human rights, I would, I would say that, that black Americans are, are pivotal as it relates to, to holding people accountable to the truth of that idea. A hundred. And, and, and I mean, look at it. And, and I mean, look, look at the name of your show. And you, and you, you know, we talk about, you know, phenomenal writers like James Baldwin and Richard Wright and, and what they ultimately were doing. They were exposing people to the truth that they were not living up to the idea that everybody swears that they love and that they respect and that they hold true. Let me ask you this. Uh, you better ask me, man. Just, Come on, Mike. No, no, no. Just but for, for real, just hearing you talk about this, you know, I was in New Orleans recently. All right. Mm. And again, I'm like, I'm down there. I'm going to all the different breweries, whatever. Me and my girl did a brewery tour. And mm. it wasn't until I was in the taxi. And then somebody hit me up and they were like, oh, you're looking at breweries? You should go to this Black-owned brewery. I was like, what? Cajun, Cajun Fire. But it was like, right. the guy was literally taking us like home. I mean, he was taking us to the hotel and we were flying out. So I missed this opportunity. You know, yeah. but I want to know from you as like 
I'm an entrepreneur now, so I already know how hard it is to be an entrepreneur. And when you think about mm-hmm. craft brewing, is it's a big deal. It's a lot of money. It's capital intensive, right? Mm-hmm. Given the 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 ceiling, the glass ceiling, officially or unofficially that exists, how have guys like Cajun Fire? What has the process been like for them to be able to do what they're able to do? Where do they get that money from and all that stuff? Um, they're doing very much like we are doing right now. We are contract brewing. Um, to my understanding, um, and, and, you know, we haven't spoken with the team in a while. It's, it's, it's been a, it's been a few months. I don't know if anything has shifted, but my understanding is that they're still contract brewing. So clearly there is, um, not as much of an overhead as it relates to, um, you know, what it means to get that product out there. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, the goal is to be able to control production and, and it takes for an ecosystem uh, for friends and family, um, for for funding bodies to recognize that you have identified the opportunity, um, that you created a model that um, that ultimately you've been able to showcase or, or show a case study, case study or proof on, and 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 to get that funding. And to to, to me, in my opinion, that is the differentiator. Um, is, is one. And I think we spoke about this briefly, you know, if, if that friends and family round can get you to one, you know, 1.5 million, it's not going to take you that much longer or, or that much of, of a, it's not going to put you at in a position of being viewed as that much of a risk. If you already have that within your, your, your family ecosystem. And, and unfortunately we have not had the opportunity to build the generational wealth and or networks that a lot for that friends and family round to be that successful, to be that, that, um, that, that capitalized. Um, so, so that would be one of the biggest building blocks or, or excuse me, uh, the biggest obstacles is, is, is how are, and how can we get to a point to where we are not looked at as a capital risk, uh, to individuals who, who, who would, would have the ability to fund an operation like we're talking. There should be no reason why Cajun Fire doesn't have a brewery at this point. Like so they, they were around before us. They have beer in Walmart. They have beer in everywhere. There's no reason why someone shouldn't just walk up to them cats and go, look, I want to give you the ability to fucking do what you're doing and do it better and do it well and do it when you want to do. That's our argument is I like, look, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, just to come back to us and in, in, in our, in our company, you know, we, we're distributed throughout California. Uh, we have beer in Nevada. We have beer in Portland. We've done it consistently. We've done it strong. And um, and there still is that that question in people's minds of of the the operational component, the the the, the risk. Um, and, you know, I would argue, what more do you have to risk? Yeah. What are we talking about? We keep talking about these. First of all, people are starting businesses with far less support, far less capital. Get out there. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, damn, what else do we got to do? I've had guys on this podcast that, uh, you know, undergrad biochemistry, work for the government, doing all this kind of stuff, right? Still can't raise capital for human genome work, you know, or raise, you know, two million when his white peers are raising 15 million. And then we say, why is that, right? All things being equal, you know, it's this, it's this ceiling with regards to, you know, the capital in this country and how it's allocated. And I think what we have to do and why I do this platform is we as black people have to be taught to invest in each other. You know, oh, yeah. this idea of Absolutely. cut the brother the check, you know, the thousand dollars and the five thousand dollars, because people think that that doesn't go far, too. 
you know? Yeah, we we, we we actually we actually have a collaboration beer that we're dropping um actually in a couple of weeks. Um you'll you'll be the first podcast that actually has the ability to talk about this, but we're doing a collaboration with Red Bay Coffee. They're a coffee roaster out of Oakland, California, um, who has uh, pretty much the same ethos and spirit and 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 mission that, that we do. Um, but one of the things that we really wanted to lean into was the concept that you're talking about right now, which is black, black businesses supporting black businesses, um, black entrepreneurs and funders supporting black entrepreneurs and funders. Um, you know, th- th- there's a concept in, in Kwanzaa called Ujima, Ujima you know, absolutely. Which is, cooperative economics, you know, and, and what it means to leverage your resources, your, your access, your network, and we don't do it enough. Um, I, I think, you know, it's something that we have to condition ourselves that is okay to do. And, and I don't put the, the onus completely on black investors and, and black funders now, because you got to think about it, bro. Like we had things like black wall street happen. You know what I'm saying? To where we completely own the ecosystem of how things were funded, how things were operated, the supply chains, the distribution channels, everything. And it got wiped off the face of the planet. Some, in some, at some point in, in, in our generational evolution, we have been stunted in, 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 in the idea of what it means to work collaboratively um, and for that to be well-received in this globalized community, you know, and, and, and that's, that's work that we have to do. Um, it, it's, it's in this moment in time, which is why Benny and I feel so passionately about the concept of racial equity, because again, I can't say it enough. Racial equity is a strategy for economic growth for everyone. Everyone wins the more black entrepreneurs are funded and capitalized and supported. Because what that means is that the industry expands. And more consumers see it and more consumers pour into it and it expands again. And, um, you, you know, you, you, you wish that it, it wasn't so tough. And, and this idea wasn't completely just, you know, we just didn't pull it out of our ass. You know, we, we actually um, ran across a document from the Kellogg Foundation called A Business Case for Racial Equity. Um, I advise anybody who is pushing in diversity and, 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 and inclusion and racial equity to look at this very powerful, um, you know, you know, uh, document that really uh, sums it up pretty, pretty well um, in terms of, of why racial equity is a strategy for economic growth. But it was that um, that, that ultimately um, motivated Benny and I to create our own fund uh, for craft breweries uh, called the Atrial Pills Initiative. I, we're going to talk about the eight pills, eight pills trill initiative at the end, <laughs> right? But this is a good segue because yeah. I want our listeners to hear your story and your struggles as an entrepreneur. Take us back. Let's go back to when you know you 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 create the 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 black people love beer handle. It's a brand. I call it dog whistle branding, right? You attract, yeah. you blow that whistle. We're come running because we're like, oh, that's dope, yeah. right? But you took that that kind of movement and created a, a a business and a brand around it. Talk about it for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think it, it was it was extremely organic. You know, um, again, I, I, to, I told you how we got to black people love beer. Um, you know, uh, I think we realized very early on that we wanted to focus on community building first, um, because one of the things that we saw as a potential issue 
is if we did what other breweries were doing, which is just opening up black, a black owned business, but a white concept without the community understanding it, then the community would avoid it. So, so we felt that we would focus on community first and that's what we did. Um, we, we used to do events in the back of barber shops because, um, in California, you could pour up to a pint of beer or a glass of wine um, without a license. And that allowed us to just give tasters away and, and do it within the legal confines of what the state allowed, you know, um, and, and that allowed for one, for the community to have the product meet them where they were versus you having to take the community to somewhere with their, where they had never seen. It takes being bit by the craft beer bug tasting and not hearing about it, not talking about it, not having someone, you know, do the, it, it, it has it's someone buying you a pint, it's someone sharing something with you. And, and we thought it was a, really important to do that first. Um, that evolved into a craft beer lifestyle brand. Um, and we used to throw events. Um, so we would invite craft breweries to, to come out and bring a representative and, and, and bring two couple of styles of beer. Uh, we, we would, do that in, in existing IPs and existing events and just have a craft beer component and, and really just wanted to showcase that craft beer was for everybody, that, that craft beer could also have dope motherfuckers in it too. And, um, and that it didn't just need to look hipster. It didn't just need to look granola. Um, and, and that, that was our first mission. And I think, I think it was the first time that we had like our first dope and dank party our, our anniversary party actually. And we, we did it with a venue and, um, that venue, um, you know, we knew there were going to be several people there. Um, uh, we, we knew that they were going to sell a shitload of beer. And it was one of the first times that we had the audacity to kind of just confront them. Like, you know, can we get a percentage or, you know, because with Benny and I both being from marketing and advertising, we're like, okay, people pay marketing companies thousands of dollars to get people in the building, let alone to buy a product and to buy multiple of that product. So we, we thought that that shouldn't be that big of an issue just to ask someone for either a percentage, some type of fee, anything. And bro, the, um, the way that was received was as if we owed them because they created a product that we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, it was looked at as, if it, it, it was it was our responsibility to bring people to their business so that they could live where they lived and so they can have the the type of lifestyle that they have and live their dreams and and they would fall quickly on the sword of well you know we're just humble home brewers or we're just humble brewers or we're just humble owners of a bar but you still have your dream you still have your your idea realized and people supporting it and and through us people that wouldn't have even recognize it if it wasn't for our effort. And we actually came upon that, that conversation a few times, bro. And, and it was really heartbreaking for us because up until that point for, for three years straight, we had been doing this, 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 this uh, rallying cry um, to support our local craft beer community uh, to, to, to support people that had never met us from Adam, but yet we were driving business to them. Um, it, it was heartbreaking to, to get that sense of your effort is not worth anything to us from a monetary standpoint. 
And and Benny and I knew very quickly after I think about three or four of those conversations that we had one decision to make after that, which was to have and open our own brewing company. There was no other way. And and we were we were super high on the concept of of what it meant to bring diversity into to businesses that ultimately didn't seem diverse or what it meant to talk about a conversation of inclusion and making sure that, you know, um, that these uh, traditionally white owned businesses saw a pool of individuals to, to make their businesses more diverse. But, but that doesn't turn a page specifically for this country. It doesn't turn a page in what it means to end systemic racism. What ends what is proof of ending systemic racism and white fragility is the empowerment of black entrepreneurs. The existence, the existence of black businesses, um, of indigenous people's businesses in this country in order to compete and ultimately to drive capital and energy to the to our economy, that is proof of the dismantling of white supremacy. And, and we realized that, you know, through incredible documents from the Kellogg Foundation, um, amazing, um, you know, writers that we've read in terms of just really helping to, to really mold our philosophies and, and ultimately the change that we wanted to make, the racial equity was the key. And, um, and Crowns and Hops represents that. It represents um, having a product that you can be intrinsically aligned with. You know, and I think right now we're living in a day and age to where people don't buy just products anymore. They just don't buy products. You know, they're, they're not like our our dad or our granddad or our great great parents to where you buy it because your granddaddy bought it. You know, we buy and support products because we are aligned with the owners. We're aligned with the philosophies of that company. And if there are no products that are aligned with the philosophy and the empowerment and the support of black people in this country right now, then that is an opportunity. That is an opportunity to make sure that there's parity and that there's that there's other villages out there that can see themselves to not only support these entrepreneurs but to support an industry. So um, crowns and hops, man. You know we're, we we are leaning one hundred percent into it. Um, we believe that that others are as well. You know you spoke about you know a couple of lifestyle brands. You know in my opinion, I think that beer culture is ultimately going to be a brewery at one day. Um, I didn't see it, nor did Benny really see it for ourselves when we were dope and dank or black people love beer. But I think as people unfold and, and really understand the impact that they're able to make once they own the very thing that they're supporting and 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 drawing attention to, then I think you you start to understand that that is the natural evolution of things. You know, if you love something, you know, not only do you want to promote it, but you want to become it. You want to you want to help curate it. You want to help people understand um, that someone that sounds, looks, um, uses the same vernacular as you also has that same appreciation as 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 you do. And um, and and I think that's 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 encouraging. You know, I think and I think we're starting to see it. When I hear you talk about racial equity, it sounds like you're really meaning financial equity, right? Because you know financial equity for us as people of color within these spaces, you know? Because again, you see this now, right? Like, oh, rah, rah, we want to support black entrepreneurs, we want to do this, we want to do that, until it's time to invest money, you know? And until it's time to cut someone a deal. And what you're talking about, that just is good business because it's going to incentivize you 
to go out and recruit a hell ton of people to come, mm-hmm. right? But again, it's this sense of, I just find that when it comes to this stuff, it really comes down to power and people feeling like they don't want to give up some of this. This is my opinion. You know, it's all fun and games. We're all rah, rah. But then when you got to put some skin in the game, you got to accept a little bit of risk. Oh my gosh. You know, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just, I'm just trying to post on LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, or Facebook. I'm not really trying to, you know, but it's just good business. Yeah. I mean, you would pack the place, good business. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's good business. It, um, I mean, we have a phenomenal team. You know, shout out to our brother, John Carpenter, um, to um, our designer, um, you know, white boy from from freaking uh, uh, freaking uh, Idaho, excuse me, Iowa. Um, you know, but, but you know, I, I think what we identified is that we, we could put together a team that is as diverse and that is talented. Um, but to your point, you know, I, I think it, it takes for people to to wrap their minds around that success can still come from something that doesn't look like the status quo. I, I think that is is difficult for people. And, you know, but again, it, it also if, if you strip it down and just look at it from a numbers game again, you have to look at some of these owners, you know, again, come from networks that have, you know, a high net value, um, you know, excuse me, um, uh, that, that have individuals that can infuse cash into their company so that they can go out and get a traditional loan. Um, these people that are getting a loan probably have a home. Um, that home they either probably own from inheritance or are probably halfway through paying it down. Um, you know, that's not the case for everybody. I don't mean to say that at all, but when there is one archetype that gets that loan and then there's an outlier that still looks like that archetype, they're probably still going to get that loan. And, and, and I think there's, there's a lot of generational work that needs to happen in order for that to change. It's not going to change with us. It's not going to change probably for my kids generation. You know, it took us fucking 400 years to get into this mess and it's going to take us at least half of that to get out of it. You know, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that it'd be less than that, but you know, that's the reality that we're in. Sounds like what you're talking about is pattern recognition. People get so used mm. to somebody doing one thing, and then all of a sudden, you come in, you look different way, and they're like, "This looks unfamiliar to me. I can't." Uh, that uncertainty is there, and so they're less inclined to to take risk or at least hear it out. You know, I live in Newark, man. I'll tell you, I was on the phone outside of my apartment the other day, and in the lobby, and the security guard comes up to me. And they're like, do you live here? I've been living here like three years. You know, what are you talking about? You know? Uh, and I said, yes, I do. You know, but again, his pattern recognition, whatever. So then he goes, it's the other security guard and they come in and then they're asking me for my ID and all this kind of stuff. And I'm tweaked because these are both black security guards. You know, but again, mm. it's just the building that I live in, right? They're so used to people, I guess, not living there when they say they do. I don't know what it is, but going back to, you know, just, Stuff looks different, right? They don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to take time for people. And again, it's I would say it's it's largely why the craft beer industry isn't as diverse um, as it probably should and could be is because of that pattern recognition of black people don't own these types of supply chains, don't own these types of businesses. So, what makes you think that you can? I haven't seen it. So what makes you think that? And, and to be frank, you know, um, you, you would imagine that being a veteran, 
um, that being a, a, a um, you know, being a black man who, who is who has had a family, who has raised daughters, who are, who are in college, partnered with a woman, you know, Spelman grad, you know, whose mother was was also a pioneer in the advertising and marketing industry. You think we check a bunch of fucking boxes in order to make a pretty good case? In addition to having beer sold throughout, excuse, throughout the state of California, that we are pretty damn good risk <laughs> or, or rather the the risk is is mitigated um but 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 you know to your point it, it is it is it is a pattern and what is the term that you use brother pattern recognition pattern recognition um that i think is going to take a lot of of i wouldn't call them brave um but it's going to take having individuals who um who are not afraid of the criticism that it takes to just do smart business, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what in their mind, because that's all it is. It's their mind manufacturing that, um, that, that criticism, or excuse me, that pattern. So for our listeners out there who are, who are tuning into this, I got a, another question for you regarding to your business model. What's the business model for Crown and Hops? And are you currently doing it full time? When did you transition to Full time, you know, can you give us a little bit more clarification around that? Of course. Um, transition full time uh, last year. Congrats. Hell of a year entrepreneur out here, side hustling, making it happen, you know? Hey, bro. Hey, look, um, both Benny and I uh, both were, were working two jobs, you know, full time jobs because this was no part time hustle. You know, when you're, when you're, when you have an aspect of activism and an aspect of entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurialism, um, entrepreneurialism. There we go. I got it. There out. we go. Yeah. Um, you, you know that that is that is double duty on top of anything that you have from a personal life. You know, and um, we were committed to it. And I think w w one of the things that we realized is once our brand had the ability to produce its own products, that we would. Um, ideally be able to communicate that to investors and prove our model, prove that what we had recognized and what we've identified in the market was in fact something that we can actually um, create a business around. And, and we actually came to that conclusion in, um, in January of 2020. And we actually brewed our first beer, a BPLB, Hazy IPA, which is dedicated to the black people love beer community, the brown people love beer community. Um, sold out like, like literally within a week. Um, super excited about that. Uh, went into February, uh, brewing a second batch, doubled the batch size, decided to can half of it and keg the other half. Um, as soon as the kegs were ready to hit COVID shut down, everything shut down. We literally had, uh, uh, 15 barrels of beer pretty much just die. Yeah. Um, because, you know, everybody had to shut down. Um, but we still recognize that we had enough, um, wind under our wings to continue a contract brewing scenario. Um, you know, it, it was extremely unfortunate that it took the murder of George Floyd, um, for there to be an additional amplification of black voices and black businesses. But, but what happened for us is we had already been doing the work. We had already been having this conversation about the significance of diversity and racial equity. We, we were already 
we already had the receipts. And, and when it came down to who was actually having these conversations before it was trendy, we were right fucking there. And to be honest, we, we, we leaned into it. It was like, look, you know, um, it, it wasn't just George Floyd. It, it's been generations of black women and men that were murdered and, and the, in the, um, in the, the idea and the framework of white fragility. And, and in that moment, Benny and I just say, you know what? Not today. We are going to lean into this. We are going to lean into our blackness. We're going to lean into our ingenuity. We're going to lean into our love for this industry that we've already proven to the industry and its consumers. And we are going to go full bore. And, and that's what we've been doing. We haven't looked back. I referenced the jet, the death of George Floyd as the day that uh, America found out we we're all black. Like they knew we were black, but they didn't pay attention to it. But then George Floyd, uh, the situation happened. Now all of a sudden everybody was like, oh, Mike, are you okay? Uh, I know I've never talked to you before, but phone ringing off the hook. And even this podcast, you know, podcast been booming. George Floyd hit. I've been doing the same thing I've been doing, but now they're curious about how does a black man think. And so a lot of my, my mm. downloads and stuff have gone up around that. So I, I, I applaud you for leaning into it. Um, and it's, but, but, but uh, what I will say, though, and, and, and this is something that we had to really be crystal clear about the individuals, the patrons, the consumers, the supporters, the other breweries, is because this happened, it is now not our responsibility to teach you how to unfuck yourself, to teach you how to not be a good, to teach you how to, to, to not be a kind human being or to be a considerate or empathetic human being. It is our responsibility to build, to do the thing that we haven't been able to do because we have always been working that muscle of assimilation, of being reduced, of not leaning into our blackness out of the fear that one, we wouldn't be invested in, we wouldn't be supported, or we wouldn't find success because we weren't echoing the pattern that people have in their mind of what success looks like. Like not, not today, not in 2020, not post 2020. This is when we need to to rally on what it means to build equity to, and, and, and that, and again, you know, we always remind people that does not mean that someone has to lose for us to win. Like that's not the name of the game. You know, it's, it's, it's been a powerful year, you know, it's, um, you know, it's been, you know, very significant in our growth. Um, and, and very significant, I think for many people that live in this country's growth in terms of what it means to share space and to truly be, community you know despite all the challenges of covid despite the challenges of running a, 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 a small business from the ground up side hustling and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff you all still really have this lift as we climb and economic empowerment within you right and i call lift as not want to be the only one on the mountaintop pulling other people up too. talk to us about this eight pills trill initiative and what y'all were able to do because i saw the facebook people were in tears they were like thank you so much you know just because of all the dope love that you're able to spread out into the the community to the industry so share that with our listeners yeah man so um atrial pills um is a concept that we took out of that 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 um report that the kellogg foundation wrote um, a business case for racial equity um there was a statement in that report that states that if we focus on racial equity today, that our country stands to see an impact of $8 trillion to the national GDP by 2050. So, so what that means is 
at the end of the day, if we focus on racial equity today, our country stands to see a surplus. And and that was so impactful to me because, and Benny both, because we have been having this conversation about diversity and inclusion, but we couldn't make it make business sense to people. We couldn't, we couldn't figure out how do, what language do we use? What framework do we use? How do we tie the fact that there's a lack of diversity to systemic racism? How do we do that? And it really broke it down um, in a way that was very digestible, you know, and ultimately there's five pillars of, of productivity as it comes down to, you know, how any community is able to be productive, you know, and that's, you know, if, if there's not a disparity in housing, in criminal justice, in education, in entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and employment, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm leaving one out, but, but it'll come to me in a moment. Um, but, but if you address those disparities, then everyone has the ability to compete and be as productive as they possibly can. You're, you're, you're not, you're not struggling. You're, you're not, you're not, you're not, you know, doing your best to accommodate something or, or working from a place of lack, but rather you're working from a place of your most productive self. And, and ultimately, if you strip it down even further and, and like they identify in the Kellogg Foundation, it comes to our children's not having that, that disparity. You know, at the end of the day, when I'm having a pint with you, Mike, and we're just kicking it or I meet you at the first time at a bar, yeah, we might talk about how, how good the beer is for a moment. But after a pint or two, we're going to talk about, how, you know, where are you from? You know, how's your family? Oh, you have kids. How are your kids? Are they good? Are they healthy? You know, that's what it comes down to. Do our children have the same ability to be productive in society as anyone else? And, and that, that, that business case for racial equity just made such an impact. So we decided to um, create a, a concept or a, an initiative called the Eight Trill Pills Initiative, the Eight Trill Pillars, if you will, um, which focus on those do- or the domains, but more specifically entrepreneurship and, and, and employment and how we can apply that case study to what we were doing in craft beer to the actual business case. And what was pretty incredible is um, one of our partners, our longtime partners, BrewDog um, out of Scotland, when George Floyd was murdered, um, reached out to us. And, you know, they have a brewery in Columbus, Ohio. And, and you know, this is a white dude from Scotland, just calls, up, calls us up and he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm not gonna act like I know what to do, but I'm, I'm telling you, I know you. I know both you and Benny's heart. And I trust whatever you would have me do. And and it was at that time that even Benny and I were struggling and trying to put together the pieces of what we were wanting to do. And we had just came up with this concept of the eight trill pill initiative. And, and really it was it was initially just to like brew a beer and and donate the funds. And he's just like, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else we can do? And Benny and I just kind of went back to the, you know to the drawing board. And we were just like, look, if it's about racial equity and empowering and giving the people, giving black people the ability to compete in this country when ultimately they may have been, had a disparity in one of those pillars I mentioned, and we can give that advantage back based off of the fact that they didn't have that ability for the the mutual productivity, then we have made a step there. We have made a step in the right direction of ending systemic racism, of showing that that we are actively taking steps. So the Atrial Pills Initiative is three very specific things. We brewed a beer in three different countries, in Germany, 
in uh, the UK and Columbus, Ohio and Inglewood. Uh, so the US, um, 100% of those proceeds, 100% of those proceeds went to uh, organizations that were focused on accomplishing racial equity, no matter what that looked like in those regions. Um, uh, the Atro Pills resource, which is our website, um, which is where people can see uh, the candidates and the individuals that are, are like-minded, that are, are looking towards uh, obtaining racial e- equity in the craft beer industry. And then three, the Atro Pills Fund, which BrewDog um, put up $100,000 uh, to create a grant excuse me, that we ultimately were able to create five micro grants to uh, give uh, people in the, in the craft beer business to, um, to obtain some success. And we were able to um, issue, um, broke that down into five uh, awards. Uh, the, the, the first being a 5,000 marketing grant to Rhythm Brewing out of Connect, Connecticut. Um, we gave two $10,000 grants for uh, j- just business development um, that went to Policy Brewing in uh, Cedar City, Utah, a black-owned brewery, um, and to uh, the Atlanta Beer Boutique, um, a woman who is opening a small bottle shop in Atlanta, um, a $25,000 award to Patuxent Brewery in, in Maryland, Patuxent, Maryland, I think it's another city. I don't think it's Patuxent, but they're, but they're in the region of Patuxent. And um, the $50,000 grant was awarded to Montclair. And um, it was an honor for us to, to give that to him. We had a board that consisted of myself, uh, Benny, um, one of the uh, owners of Urban Roots, which is a, a, a partly owned black brewery in Sacramento, uh, the owners of Poppy and Rose, which is a restaurant group in downtown L.A., black owned, and uh, Beer Wax out of Brooklyn. Um, I don't know if you've ever been. If you haven't, you definitely need to go there. It's a, a hip hop vinyl uh, craft beer bar, but to co- collectively, um, w- we were able to to distill it down to those five individuals, and ultimately, again, it's to give individuals the the capital that they need in order to have progress, in order to achieve what they set out to do. And what a lot of people don't, didn't understand, I think, initially when we launched the the um, the grant, is you know, people were like, "Well, you can't." open a brewery with, you know, $5,000 or $100,000. No, you can't. But what you can do is secure your IPs. You can secure your, um, you can make sure that your CPA has enough capital in order to go over your financials to make sure that when you present it to investors, that it's bulletproof um, to get a lawyer to, to fight for a trademark that you might need or to ultimately just get equipment so you can make better beer. Um, these are ways that we saw that even though Benny and I are still in the process of doing the same thing, that we had enough momentum, um, that we have banged our pots and drums loud enough to get the attention um, that we needed for others to be able to see and ultimately emulate. To us, that that means everything. For people to see that this model can happen and it can happen on a fractal level instead of some huge monolithic, free or not monolithic, but this huge, uh, you know, level of top down is not how it's going to happen. That that's it's going to happen fractally. It's going to happen with grassroots. It's going to happen with individuals that are able to top tap in to these 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 resources of capital in order to continue giving the leverage that was never afforded. You guys, atrial pills. You guys come from. We come from the uplift tradition, right? And you're living it, right? This idea of like, man, we might not have a pot to piss in. 
But we make sure that our people are taken care of, you know, because that Ujima, that collective cooperative economics. And, you know, one of the things, you know, even in the pre-call, you've got your struggles as an entrepreneur and you're figuring it out. But to, to have this effort of distributing these funds to others so that they can carry that dream, what did that feel like, you know, to be able to do that oh, in man, the midst of the, the come up? Bro, man, it, it it was it was extremely emotional to see people that have put in work longer than Benny and I have even been at it. You know what I'm saying? It um it it, it was it was rewarding, you know, specifically in the case of Montclair to give them the ability to invest in their own canning line. Like if if you understand in the brewing industry, like you have to get on a schedule on someone else's schedule just to put your product in packaging to give it to your own community. And if you fall outside of that schedule, you might have to uh, crash that beer earlier. You might have to wait and sit it in the tank and leave it in the tank and not be able to do another brew that would allow you to continue to capitalize your, your, um, your actual business. Um, so to give them the ability to, to package their own beer and do it in a way that is consistent with their growth and, and maximizing their current, um, their current current consumer base was was I, I I barely have the words for it, bro. I mean, it was it was extremely emotional. Uh, Benny cried. I I, I I got the I got those glassy eyes. You know, one blink and it would have been like pouring down. Um, but but it it, it meant everything, bro. Um, they, they've you know these, these are trailblazers. These are ones. These are people that have been doing it longer and or you know at the same time as we've been doing it, and it felt more impactful to make sure that those awards went out to them so that we can at least stop the bleeding on losing less than 1%, make sure that they're good so that when things get up and running again, that, that, that they can be there to, to, to motivate and to, to potentially uh, give someone else that desire and that, and that, and that respect. It's, it's, it's cyclical. It's, it's going to come back. You know, we know it's going to come back. You know, if it doesn't come back with us, it'll come back. You know, we, we believe in that. And that's not on some spiritual shit. That's the law of circulation, you know? Uh, or it could be spiritual as well. I mean, I, 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 I go with that. nobody else tells you, bro, I'm proud of you. I know we just met, but I'm proud of you. Because I understand how hard it is right. running a small business and distributing funds to people. I run an incubator here, so I'm with you. But the the just for you to be able to do that, in the midst of all the chaos that's COVID-19 and everything, I'm just here to tell you one brother to another, I'm proud of you for doing that. And it means a lot. It's brother. awesome. What's the future hold for Crown and Hops? Talk to our listeners about what, what the future holds for you and your team. Man, we plan on being the most culturally significant craft brewery on the planet, brother. Um, you know, it, it, I will say, you know, we're, we're humble in, a, in our mission and in our, in our movement and, and with our community, but we, we have aspirations for, for doing big things. You know, um, I, I think, you know, th there's this concept of supporting local and then there's these, this concept of supporting an idea and a movement. And we do very much believe that we are an idea and a movement that we hope um, takes root you know, not just in Inglewood, California, not just in Oakland, California, but anywhere someone has the audacity to do something where they don't see themselves, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to, to be able to do it in a delicious product, a delicious, a delicious beverage, something that you can, you can celebrate with. Um, um, but, but our goal is really, you know, again, just to, you know, strip it down to the basics 
to get our our production brewery up and running, uh, our independent production brewery up and running in in, in Inglewood, um, and to to really just continue to grow upon the uh, the retail and distribution accounts that we've already established uh, through contract brewing. Um, you know, we're we're confident in that. You know, we have some phenomenal conversations happening now. Um, but you know, t- to be frank. You know, first come, first serve, you know, you know, we, we are open to the conversation of people who understand our vision for ourselves. Um, it's something that, to be honest, we, we've had to really um, to refocus our efforts on um, as, as, as beautiful and amazing it is to be a part of a philanthropic arm of, of what we what our mission is. Um, we still have a responsibility for for building the the operational component of this business uh, to make sure that we can do the same thing that Montclair that that rhythm that that other breweries are currently doing um, in the space. So right now you've got listening you got listeners from all over the country all over the world black brown white veterans super fans right they're native son super fans right. Hey. What up? Right. What up, y'all? What do you call them? Uh, I don't know. I got to come up with a name for them. I was thinking about that. I don't want to call them Native Sons, but uh, I don't know. I need to come up with a name for this tribe that we've built with this podcast. But I want you to talk directly to my listeners, and I want you to tell them whatever closing remarks you want to do. If you want to pitch Crown and Hops, whatever you want to do, right? But you have their ears. Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, you could follow us at Crowns and Hops. Uh, that, that's our handles across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. Um, check out our website, get on our mailing list. Um, and if you are interested first and foremost in investing in our company, reach out directly to us. Um, and, and we will respond back, um, immediately. Um, but you can also support us by championing and supporting our products. Um, one of the things that I think craft beer has become known for is, you know, I'm telling you, a beer can be released in, in Brooklyn, New York, and that can can pop up <laughs> outside of my house um, in Inglewood, California, um, two days later. Um, I think there is the ability of what it means to champion um, companies, ideas, products that you, you truly care about, um, that, that products that, um, that, that you believe in and that you're aligned with. And that needs to happen consistently. You know, it can't just happen from one post. It can't just happen from one purchase. Um, we we have a focus on not just th- this community ethos and effort, but in also making quality, world-class premium beer. And and we know that if if the beer falls short, then the, the movement is not going to be very long-lived. Um, so we're proud to say that, that our, our product can go toe to toe with any brewery on the planet. Um, and, um, you know, our, our team is ready for you to 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 build alongside of us uh, to contribute to what we're b- building. And, and that happens through consistent generational support and action. Um, you know, people got to remember support is a verb. <laughs> it is a it is an action. And um, we ask for your support. Um, we ask for for your, your sharing our story and uh, more importantly, drinking our beer, brother. T.O., it's an honor to have you on this platform. This ain't going to be your only time because I'm making a commitment to you in the tradition of Ujima that anything I do, audio, Ironbound, whatever, right? You say the word, man, you're, my platform is your platform. 
You understand? Hey, hey, you know, hey, you know what the Atro Pills uh, uh, Awards gonna be happening again, man? We plan on doing that till it's not needed anymore. So if you opening up a brewery, brother, I better see that application up in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. But in just the tradition of man, media is such a powerful form for us to communicate with our tribes, you know. And so, uh, yeah, just again, man, anything me and my listeners can do to help elevate you. Uh, we've already got some stuff in the works, man. I'm excited for, for that. And uh, again, it's just been a pleasure hearing your story today. And uh, we're excited to continue to follow you on all your journey. For everyone else, I need you to do us a favor and subscribe and support this podcast by giving us five stars and leaving a review on iTunes. Also, for this show to anyone in your network who you feel identifies with this subject matter. And for all the listeners tuning in and super fans all over the world, head over to confessionsofanativeson.com and sign up for our newsletter. If you like this type of dialogue and are interested in booking me to speak at your organization, you can contact me through the website. Just click the tab that says book me to speak, fill out your contact information, and someone from my team will get back to you as soon as possible. Order some dope coffee at www.realdope.coffee. We've got to start supporting our businesses, y'all. It's black and veteran owned and is the epitome of economic empowerment. Be sure to also check out Sincerely Bade. Uh, body spelled with B-A-D-E and order you some handmade pain relief wellness products. I personally know the CEO of the company. She just so happens to be my girlfriend. So I'll put in a good word for you. Message me on LinkedIn or shoot me an email at Mike at weareironbound.com. Special shout out to my co-producer, Mike Lloyd and the team from the Gifted Sounds Network. Rune for everybody that's black. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't that feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase our trees, black man.